Hi guys, so we are back. This is Lead Her Shift and I'm here talking to Karen all the way from London and <laughs> she's a fashion designer but she's way more than that and I can't wait to delve into the different layers to her, um, her different levels of experience because she has loads and what's her understanding of leadership in general. So I'll turn over to Karen and my first question is going to be, <laughs> tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit more about all the things that makes up Karen. What does oh that look goodness. like? Oh, goodness me. Um, <laughs> God, so much. So I was a teacher. I yes. was a teacher for 28 years. Wow. I taught dance. My degree is in performing arts. Okay. And I specialised in dance. So when I finished my degree, I did a little bit of, you know, teaching here and there. And then I thought I'll go and get a qualification. We call it a postgraduate certificate in education. So I got right. that. And then I went into teaching, moved to London uh, from my hometown in Oxfordshire, went into nice. teaching and then just kept teaching, teaching dance, mixed school, uh, girls school. And then ended up in a boys' school. Mm -hmm. But I, by that time, I was a pastoral leader. So I was a head of house, wow. uh, which is someone, what can I say, with a link between the parent, the child, and the teacher. Okay. So if a child is unhappy, they can't learn. So our, uh, our remit is to ensure that they are getting the best out of school by making sure that their home environment and outside environment all links together, you know? Right. So basically it also meant that if things, you know, if they were getting into trouble, I was the person that they were brought to that kind of thing. Right. Um, I don't know if you, what the equivalent would be in Barbados, but yeah, that. Yeah. So then I, I, I stopped teaching in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't very well. I had a breakdown and I ended up leaving teaching and spending a couple of years working out what I wanted to do and also looking after myself. Right. Um, I had always sewn. My mother uh, from Barbados, my mother nice. <laughs> taught me how to sew when I was 15. Yeah. Uh, and I'd always sewn, so I'd always designed things and made things and made. And when I um, met my partner and had my children, I made clothes for my girls, and I right. always made clothes for myself. So it was it was second nature. Mm. So when it came to leaving teaching, I wanted to work out. At the time, I was fifty-two. I'm fifty-eight now. So at the time, I was fifty-two, and I. I figured I'm going to be on this earth for a good 40, 50 years. Right. This is my plan. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the universe plans for me. This is my plan. And so I wanted to curate the rest of my life doing what I love. And what I love is sewing and mm. designing and working with women and talking to women about our bodies and what we love and yeah, a lot of stuff. I, I think that's a bit rambly, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's basically what I do. But I also teach people how to sew. Right. I also I also um, teach in classes in schools um, about sewing and fashion and that kind of thing. What else do I do? I talk about menopause a lot mm. because when I left teaching, I started uh, menopause and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. Um, and I advocate for women embracing getting older and everybody having a conversation about aging and menopause not just women when it happens to them when it happens yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, I, I feel that um, there's a lot of fear around um, stepping into menopause or jokes if you're not if it's not actually happening to you and I feel that the only reason we're scared about it is because people don't talk about it early enough so there's that fear of the unknown so then I was gonna I was just gonna pause you there and sure. find out a little bit about what your thoughts are regarding generally the black community because you say you okay. you you mentioned that about aging 
But I find mm. generally in the black community, mm. we don't talk about a lot of things. We often mm. try, mm. we often tend to stumble into mm. different phases of our life, especially as mm. women, as girls mm. and leading into women, womanhood. Mm. We tend mm. to stumble into puberty. We tend to stumble into all these different layers of ourselves. Mm. Was mm. was your thoughts mm. on that generally in terms of why this com- these conversations don't happen? I think um, often, I can't speak for the entire black community, but I can speak from my experience. And my experience watching my mother is that she was in survival mode. Right. So often we are trying to live, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to put food on the table. And right. these did, weren't necessarily conversations we have because they weren't, we were talking about education. Education is a big thing. Right. And getting the right education, so training to be something that would make you a lot of money and give you some status, like, you know, doctor, lawyer, the, the, the usual teacher as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when it comes to things like, and also there's that emphasis on the way that you look as mm. opposed to the way that you feel. Right. So... You know, as we know, mel- melanin means melanin rich means often we do, we look a lot younger than we actually are. Are yeah, and so yeah. those those things to do with uh, feelings and anything that might mean people knowing about your business, yeah, <laughs> is actually something that we won't talk about. I remember yeah. when when I told my mother, finally told my mother that I was in therapy paying someone to talk to them about my business because that's how she saw it she told my late aunt monica and my aunt monica called me ostensibly to tell me off i mean she mm. didn't it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't as harsh as i'm making it sound but she was basically saying you have people you can talk to in your family why are you talking to a stranger yeah and paying them you know why you, why you putting so, it outside the family in a, yeah. in a way yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I and I I think that that does us. I think that does us as a community and us as women, as never mind men. Well, I haven't even got onto that subject. Uh, yeah. A disservice. A yeah. disservice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but there's also the thing around finding a therapist that will understand you. I had a black therapist, and when I started with her, I had no idea how important that would become. Mm. That was four years ago now. Yeah, four, five years ago now. Um, but as I got deeper into my recovery, I would say that it was invaluable talking to someone who we started on the same level. So I didn't have to explain anything. Right, or any nuances. Po- Do you know or, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and colonialism and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I didn't have to explain, she just got it. So we could start and then move up together as opposed to me having to kind of catch her up. Yeah. Um, And I feel that's really important that people of colour should look for, should have uh, therapists who get them and and understand our experience, share an experience. Yeah. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is so interesting because I feel like, I feel like the more I speak to women, especially in more recent times, and the more I kind of hear different stories, it all comes down the same line in a sense. Um, but let's circle back a little bit. So tell me about why, what is it that drives your passion for design and fashion design? And, you know, we, you talked about uh, teaching about your body and how you feel and and how that is linked in a way to fashion. I've, Talk to me about that. What, what is it? Well, I, I think that I've always been interested in fashion and I was interested in trends and I was interested in like seeing things in shops and thinking, oh, I can make that. Let's see if I can make that. I realise that I really like a challenge. Right. Um, so I, I will make a lot of things based on, oh, I wonder if I could make that out of this fabric. And then once I've done it, I move on. That kind of thing. Mm. But also, when I became, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression when I left teaching, just before I left teaching. And so I actually, if you know anything about 
depression, you tend to lose the will to do the stuff that you used to love. So I didn't want to sew and I wasn't interested in the way that I looked and I wasn't mm. interested in anything actually. Um, but leaving my full-time very stressful job mm. meant that I had the space to really look at what I loved in my life and what I didn't love in my life. And also to turn the spotlight on me. We spend a lot of our time, particularly women, we're taught to nurture and we're taught to care for other people. Yeah. So I'd spent five decades, just, you know, under five decades. Um, I'm the eldest of four. So, you know, being the eldest child, looking after my, not looking after my mum, but being around when my mum splits with my father, um, then it, you have your partner and then you've got kids. All of that is about giving back and then teaching, giving back, giving back. So I didn't have the opportunity to really look at my own life. Mm. And it, when I, I went into therapy, as I said, and when I started, to get, I did lots of things. I went into therapy. I got into meditation. I've always been someone who did a lot of stretching and yoga. I just took longer to do it. I developed a routine for myself which meant that gave me some kind of grounding in right. the morning. And I started to notice that my relationship with fashion and clothing changed. Mm. So before I would, you know, I was making a salary. I'd go into a shop and drop several hundred pounds. Just cons, yeah. Three, I, yeah, because <laughs> Not think you know, about something it, yeah. new, something trending. Of course, when I stopped teaching, I also didn't have that income. And I made a decision to, I didn't want to buy, I didn't want to give, um, buy into uh, fashion anymore because I wasn't interested in the way that I looked. But then right. when I started to come through this, I started to use the clothes in my wardrobe to make me feel good. Mm. So, for example, in that same year, my Aunt Monica uh, passed away. Suddenly, mm. uh, she went in and out of hospital and then she didn't come out again. And um, I was the executor of her estate. So I had to get, you know, look through all her the stuff in her house, her right. flat, uh, put it on the market, stuff like that. And I, when she went into hospital for the third and final time, I remember thinking, fantasizing about what a great niece I would be when she came out. Because mm. even though she lived in London, I didn't see her that much. And there was a guilt and shame around the fact that I hadn't been the perfect niece. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I missed her. Mm. And I, I missed the relationship that we never had. The relationship right. that I'd made up in my head. Mm. So I had a, a couple of pieces of her jewellery and a couple of skirts, vintage skirts. Right. And I found that when I was missing her, this sounds, well, maybe it doesn't sound old. When I was missing her, I would reach for something that she'd worn right. because it made me feel like she was with me. And I started to notice that I, I called it where you're happy. So yes, I would talk I about it on social about media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would choose clothing to lift my mood so for right. me it'll be i really like a nice lingerie set mm -hmm. just for me not to yeah. show anybody else yeah i really love color clearly yes i <laughs> love it's vibrant i must say <laughs> i or anybody can do this it's about what you love in your wardrobe often adulting is hard work and often mm. you get to a certain age your body changes. You might or may, you may or may not have had children. You might have a stressful job. The point is you're always doing, doing, doing. The last thing you're going to think about is matching a top with a skirt or looking yeah. trendy or that kind of thing. And actually when we get to certainly menopausal age or an age where you become the mother or the carer or that kind of thing, in the middle of that, we kind of lose ourselves. Yeah. And fashion seems to be this kind of not very serious thing. Mm. So we have a uniform, which might involve a T-shirt and leggings if you're at home all the time. Or you always end up wearing dark colours because we're told that they slim us, which they don't, by the way. Do you see? 
Yeah. So I decided to, whereas I feel that your wardrobe is a treasure trove. When you're little and you love dressing up, we lose that as we get older because we're told, we're told we have to look a certain way. Yeah. My argument is you shouldn't care. Don't, not shouldn't. It doesn't matter what you look like. If you feel good, how is it anybody else's business what you're wearing? Yeah. Do you see? And so I feel that menopause freed me and depression freed me to not care what other people thought. Mm. And it means that every single thing in my wardrobe I love. And mm. it might I might look like an explosion in a paint factory. Mm. And I might look like slightly unconventional but i wear these things because i love them so these earrings are by a good friend of mine um a jewelry designer Mm -hmm. and i love them because of the color because they make a a noise when i move my head because they were made by my friend Mm. this head wrap is a sarong that was given to me as a parting gift by my therapist who i spent a long time with so do you know what I mean? So it's about meaning, it's about texture, it's colour, it's things that are close to your skin, it's memory, it's vintage. So many things in our wardrobe that we can, we can turn to when we're feeling not so great. Yeah. And it, during lockdown, it's perfect because I am dressing every day. I don't dress up. I didn't dress up to come to talk to you every day. I dress as if I'm going to my studio or I'm going out. But that's the thing, because, you know, we are in COVID now. And I mean, generally, like, persons kind of fit themselves in a box. But like now we're we're COVID and most persons are either working from home or they always used to work from home or they're now finding a new normal because they don't have a job, whatever the case may be. And like, why dress up? Like, why, why, you know, my question is, like, why? Like, why? Because at the same time, like, why not? You dress up for you. Mm. The problem is, is that in the past, dressing up, the actual term, the dress up is you're dressing up for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But that's not my point. My point, if I walk around my house in my hoodie and my leggings, by five o'clock, I'm not feeling so great. And I'm wondering Mm. why. Yeah. Whereas when I get up in the morning, I don't think, I never decide what I'm going to wear the next day. Right. I get up in the morning and my honest to God thought is, how do I want to feel today? Feel today. Yeah. Do you see? So but then. I, but that's, just, like, that's so funny, Karen, because I feel like <laughs> it's so funny. You say, how do I want to feel? Whereas most persons I feel get up, even if they don't plan it, they say, how do I feel? And they dress yeah. for how they currently feel, not Thank how you. they want to feel. Yes. And, and I often, think that is a main point there, you know? Yeah. And we often dress the way we feel. Yeah. Which means often, if we are feeling like we don't want to show our body or we're feeling like um, down or it's raining outside or we, we, we reach for dark clothes we, mm. or we reach for clothing that hides our body we reach for clothing that maybe has holes in it because it's easy because why not? No one's going to see me. Yeah. This is about, for me, it's about self-worth. Am I not worthy of looking my best for me? I did not put on matching bra and knickers for you because you're not going to see it. Yeah. I put them on because I feel great when Mm. I put them on. And I feel that women in particular get a raw deal full stop but definitely when it comes to fashion in the past, I will say, because things are changing. Fashion psychology is, is certainly on the rise and, and people are cottoning on to uh, choosing clothes to lift their mood. I understand that, but I feel that because fashion is based on, let's face it, it's based on getting you to buy something. This is why there are seasons. This is why there are trends. They do not have, they do not have your best interests in heart. They want you to part with your hard earned cash. That's it. So, of course, um, you know, the seasons, the trend, in order to feel that you're relevant, they will want you to buy something that is a certain length or has yeah. a puff sleeve or this kind of thing. You've got to keep if, up. Yeah. Right. But the other side to that is 
it's not sustainable because we have, I was watching a program today. We have something called the Great British Sewing Bee, which mm-hmm. is a competition for home sewers the, to find the best home sewer in Great Britain. And one of the challenges was about making clothes out of clothes. So making new upcycling clothes, making new things right. out of old things. Right. And the statistic was that there are enough clothes currently on the planet to clothe six generations of people. The point wow. being, we don't have to, we don't have to buy any more clothes because yeah. there's enough clothing. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if yeah. you, I guarantee that if you look in your wardrobe, you will find clothes that you haven't worn for years or clothes that you can't fit into or clothes that you bought and never wore. You know, mm. we tend to reach for the same thing. If we want to look at, our consumption, uh, champion sustainable fashion. That's about shopping in your own wardrobe. Yeah, looking at <laughs> shopping in your own wardrobe. I love that. Yeah. Well, if you if you think about it, when you go to your wardrobe, the clothes in front of you, if you're right-handed, the clothes in front of you, or slightly to the right, and if you're left-handed, slightly to the left, are the clothes that you always wear. Yeah. <laughs> and so there will be clothes to the far reaches of your wardrobe that you don't really wear i challenge you i challenge you to take i don't know three items from one side and three items one side and put them in the middle and Um, wear those yeah it's really it's a (laughs) fascinating yeah i offer a styling service where i help clients to before covid uh to look in their wardrobe and help them to um, send the stuff that they haven't worn for ages to charity shop, but also wear things in a different way and choose the clothes that they truly love so they can wear their happy, yeah, right. wear your happy style. And it, you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, how many items of clothing we have that we do not wear or clothes that we wear because we feel we should as opposed to because we like uh, them. I think, I think, I think, I think that's more it clothes we think we should because Mm. we might look a certain way or give a certain Mm. message or Mm. people will accept us that's about fitting in yeah is more about fitting in or more about yeah how would other people see me if i wore this versus that you know and i think it's more about the should yeah yeah Yeah. And, and it's not that we don't want to dress up it's just that we feel, I think sometimes we feel that it's, I don't know, maybe not serious enough or not, we won't be taken seriously. Yeah. And this goes for men as well as women, but I focus on women because I'm interested in how we, uh, we become, we're expected to become smaller as we get older, but actually Mm. we have more knowledge. We have more experience. Surely this is when we need to be shouting from the rooftops. I'm here. I have the experience. I have this knowledge. Um, I'm a relevant person. Just because I can't have kids anymore, I don't, don't look a certain way, doesn't mean that I'm not relevant. Doesn't yeah. mean that I can't contribute. Doesn't mean that I won't add value to a situation. Yeah. Um, so I think, certainly for me, menopause has liberated me. I'm much more, I'm me. I'm authentically me. And that sounds really, but... <laughs> It's true. It's yeah. true. I, I try not to do things that I don't love. I have a very small circle. I speak my truth. All these phrases, eh? I'm bring them out, <laughs> mate. Yeah, I'm full of it. I'm full of it, guys. Um, no, but I, I try to only say what I believe in. I spent years not doing that. I spent years... Uh, I come across as quite a gregarious and extrovert person and to some extent I am but at work certainly I wouldn't speak my mind because I was so scared of being found out imposter syndrome isn't it right yeah you know so I I I never did any of the things I could have said way (laughs) (laughs) oh no yeah I I I think it's time women older women stood up and reclaimed you know our power because Mm. this menopause is a a freeing 
if we put symptoms and the physical stuff aside and the bad stuff aside, the other side to that is actually it can be incredibly liberating and empowering and it lasts for a long time. So the transition is, 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 can be celebrated. I think menopause is something to be celebrated, not to be feared. So start talking about it now, guys. <laughs> just so everyone is aware <laughs> for all those people yeah, in the back. Just, just in case you didn't, for the people at the back, yeah. Just in case you didn't hear me. Uh, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> Karen, do you think, I'm going to throw this at you and you can share oh, your thoughts God. on this. Do you? <laughs> I'm worried now. No, don't be worried. Do you think the anxiety and depression that you were diagnosed with is a burden of the leadership you had? The leadership role or position or... <laughs> Look at <What>? you! <laughs> um, okay, so there is a trope, of the strong... I'm going to throw it at you, the strong black woman trope mm. about not being able to show your feelings and carrying on anyway, getting up and carrying on anyway. I watched, we, and it's generational, so we watch our family often, but not always, the right. women in the family, perhaps from my point of view, my mother split with my father when I was 15 and I watched my mum just get up and get on with it on yeah. the whole. You know, don't get me wrong, she had a cry and she was upset. But on the whole, my memory of, of it is of her getting a job, putting food on the table, carrying on. She has four children. I was the eldest. I am the eldest, I mean. Uh, you know, decades later, I did exactly the same thing. When I split from my partner, my primary objective was to make sure my children were all right mm. so i put all my energies into making sure my job was secure i put all my energy into my job and into my girls so and at some point when we mask our feelings and when we don't attend to ourselves um that stuff's got to come out somehow yeah it does yeah you know and so my uh, breakthrough I want to call it, call it a breakdown, but I broke up with my former self. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to look Um, at it. That's that's interesting. I don't see it. It was, we call it a breakdown, but it wasn't a breakdown. I, I, I am grateful to that time in my life as traumatic as it was. Mm -hmm. It's brought me here in front of you. Yeah. You know, now, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, And I feel that if we, if we, yeah, if we don't attend to ourselves and if we don't acknowledge that we need care as well and put ourselves first, then um, it can all go horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and so I've forgotten the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But I, but I feel that the um, feeling that we can't share our feelings, look after ourselves, feeling that looking after yourself is selfish in some way. Yeah. Um, means that we put other people first and we yep. keep doing it and keep doing it until we're stopped in our tracks. And I was stopped in my tracks. My, the mm. universe was like, right, you're not listening to me. Hear what? This is what we're going to do. Cool. Bish, yeah. bash, bosh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. How I, that's, that's my rec. That's what I think anyway. Yeah. But you, 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 you summed it perfectly. Because often the burden of leadership, um, me, we interpret that the burden of leadership means that we aren't to put ourselves first at any point. We yeah. often, we often think that leadership means, although we are supposed to be serving others, that leadership means we forget ourselves in mm. the process, mm. or we stop mm. remembering that we are part of the process and we need to take care of ourselves at the same time. Um, and I, I feel that I would never have if you'd have asked me a few years ago are you a leader Yeah, I would have been like no I mm. just, I'm just doing what I do yeah, but yeah, I yeah. realised that I am 
and only I suppose recently in the last two years or so I've realized I am a leader because yeah. I've always been someone who's like I want you know if if someone if if something isn't happening the way I want it to happen or it's not happening at all I'm, I'm like I'll do it then I may as well do it then right do you see what I mean yeah and I also realized that I I like to get up and get on with things when when something okay so here's the thing I have two daughters yeah. And my two daughters are 25 and 29. And they, on the whole, your children don't really take a lot of notice of what you say to them after a while. They yeah. listen to you up until like 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And then they go to secondary school and then they have their friends and then they listen to their friends and their friends become the most important. And that's why guys uh, get to know your children's friends very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could tell my child not to do something, but if I do not lead and show them, right, then they're not going to, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah. So when I uh, finally went into therapy, what I was saying with my actions was, I know that I'm worthy and that gives you permission to look after yourselves as well. Mm. And that was five years ago. Now I talk to my daughters as grown-ups and these are conversations we have. It's about if, if I, I could complain until the cows come home about how my job was stressful and I didn't like it and they're treating me a certain way. I can do that. But unless I did something about it, I could still be complaining and I could still be ill. I could have taken time off, gotten better and then gone back to teaching. Right. But then I would just be complaining. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the reason that I do what I do, whatever that might be, whether it's fashion design, whether it's sewing, teaching people to sew, whether it's talking about menopause, whether it's where you're happy, all that stuff, is because I want my girls to understand that if you're not happy with your life, then you have the power to change it. Mm. And these things don't happen overnight. But you can't be, what's the phrase? You can't be what you can't see. Mm. Can you? So if my girls saw me doing a job I hated until I died, then they would think they would have to do the same thing. I'm not happy yeah. enough for my girls. I want my girls to dream big. I want them to dream outside of my dreams, you know, because I want them to live a fulfilling, fulfilling lives. And mm. if they don't, just because you don't see, um, I'm trying to think of an example. When I was young, I never saw any black, I didn't know any artists of colour. I just, it's just, I'd studied art, but I didn't know any artists of colour. Right. Now, my, my youngest child is an, art, is an artist and she sees lots of artists on social media. She, yeah. We have friends who are artists. Do you see? Yeah. So I feel like, I feel almost a duty to live... Uh, my life as big as I can so that I can enable not just my children to see that, but also people coming up, women who see me doing what I like at my age. Yeah. They can feel that they can do the same thing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. It sounds like rubbish. No, no, no. It makes perfect (laughs) sense. And, and, and recognizing that representation matters. It matters Mate. to how, yes, yeah, so matters, much. Yeah, it matters to how you see yourself. It matters to what you think you're capable of. You know, it matters. And I would to, say, yeah. I would say, if you Google menopause and then click on images, see if black women come up. Mm. Because that's a thing of mine. <laughs> I never that's thought about that, mine. you know. But yeah, I was recently. I did a campaign, a modelling campaign for a large. Uh, yeah, so you're a model glasses. now. <laughs> uh, glasses, uh, spectacle wearers, darling. Uh, yeah. Spectators. Um, it was a job and I went along and I got the job. Now, what I didn't know was they, u- they were going to use my, I knew they were going to use my image, but they ended up putting my image on a leaflet to advertise their glasses that went through homes all throughout um, Great Britain and Ireland. Wow. Wow. So, of course, people start to tag me on social media because they're getting these leaflets coming through their door. My point is this. 
first of all, props to Specsavers for choosing that image because there were other models there. They could have chosen something else. They chose yeah, yeah. to take my menopausal 58-year-old face and put it on leaflets. Now, that says a lot for that brand, but also it meant that people could see that older women can be models, older black women can be models. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I feel yeah. like, oh, what am I trying to say? I feel like it's important that the message gets out there that, you know, black folks are, we can do, we not can do, do lots of different things and are in all parts of society. And if modeling is my way of reaching those people, then so be it. Yeah. And the conversations I had uh, with, you know, women who would send me messages you know, we got very excited about seeing someone who looks like them yeah. on a, a generic piece of paper that came through their door. Yeah. So it's really important that we step up and step out uh, My, and not be quiet. And I would add to that, like that, not be afraid to do more than just one thing. Because I think oh it's one of those things where we... <laughs> You know, I, I almost feel like we stay in just one lane or feel like we can only be in one lane and not, Listen. you know, <laughs> and not but, do multiple things and enjoy. But we're taught that. We're taught yeah. that, Alien. When I was at school, we had a careers advisor and the careers advisor told me that I should get a job in a bank. And I laugh now because that's so far a from job what in I wanted a, okay. to do. <laughs> so... I know for a fact that my dad wanted me to be a doctor, but fortunately he left the family home just before, just after I took, just before I took my options at school. So when I said to my mum, I really like dancing. I want to do a degree in performing arts. My mum was like, whatever makes you happy. And that right. set me on the path to do what I wanted. But mm. the other side to that is we, my generation certainly were taught that you have one job, one career and you stick to it. One career. So yeah. when I left, when I left teaching, two things happened. First of all, I floundered because I was, when people asked me what I did, I was quite proud to say I was a teacher. Mm. But when I left, I was like, well, what will I, what will I be? I'd all, I'd been a teacher for almost three decades. I couldn't work out what I could be. Then I floundered because I thought I had to choose one thing. Right. So when people say to me, oh, what do you do? Well, I do lots of things, things but yeah. my title is a fashion, fashion designer, designer and so in tune actually I'm I'm so much more and I feel that you know when uh, young people coming up young black folks coming up wh whatever they need to understand that you can do whatever you want to do you can do lots of different things you don't have to fit into a neat little box for people yeah. to label you, do you see? Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, I will, if I like it, if you ask me to do something, and you're going to pay me, and, yeah. I, and I'm, and um, it's something that is generally on the way I have a vision for what I want to be doing in the next two years, five years, ten years, then I'm going to do it. If I think yeah. I'm going to have fun, I can try it once. If I, that's how I fell into modelling, because. Someone said, oh, you know, would you go for a casting? I was like, oh, I've never done that. I'll do that. And then they said, oh, would you go for this photo shoot? And I was like, I've never done that. I'll do that. And the next <laughs> thing, do you see? Yeah. Um, we, we are in the habit of making ourselves small and narrowing ourselves because we're told, especially at school, uh, that that's what we're supposed to do. But I say, do it all. Yeah. Do it all. Do yeah. as much as you can. Um yeah. Do it all. I'm I'm excited to see what my what I'm I'm excited to see what I'm gonna be doing in the next few years. Also I'm excited to see what you know my children and my children's friends how they're going to evolve and step up because yeah you know this if if this pandemic has taught us nothing is teaching us that we have to swerve yeah you know, i've i've swerved I, I i went from having private clients in my studio to making face covers 
you know right um and that's my little bit of where you're happy going out into the world in colorful fabric yeah but i i feel that um being adaptable and being open to new ideas and finding things out and evolving and help that kind of helps you to find what you're good at and what you love and what your purpose is and then you know there should be no stopping you yeah and I mean like I'm I'm hearing so much but I think (laughs) one of the main things that is standing out for me especially because there's two things so in terms of leadership and how we lead and even seeing ourselves as leaders is almost like we we have a perception especially growing up that in order to see ourselves as leaders we must have a title right mm-hmm. but part in addition to that part of leadership is knowing when to say yes and how much times yes is necessary in order to get different opportunities that help us to find what makes us happy, but mm. knowing knowing where we want to go enough that we must learn how to say no as well. Yes, because there boundaries. are things. Yeah, so setting setting parameters for how much we do, what we do, when we do it, who we do it with, all those kind of things is. So for me, setting that setting that kind of standard or foundation for yourself is part of leadership what are your thoughts on that yeah and and i and i learned that the hard way yeah because i went from you know 28 years of a salary right and being uh, and yes i'm being told what to do i was told what to do it's teaching you have to fit within certain boundaries don't you yeah so when i went from that to freelance I didn't know the first thing about business. Mm. Not a clue. Yeah. I didn't know how to price. I was scared. I, I didn't know how good I was at what I do. My God, I, I had no self-worth. Mm. I've, whenever somebody told me that they liked what I made, I in my head, I was like, oh, they're only saying that because they're either related to me or my friend. Right. I didn't charge enough. I, so I did everything. So whenever somebody said to me, oh, you should make this, I'm like, oh, I'll make that. Hated doing it, mm. but did it because I thought, oh. And I would lower my prices because I thought, oh, that means that otherwise they won't come to me. Yeah. I, I worked from, I came from what's uh, scarcity. So I would mm. think that if somebody did something similar to me, that that meant that it would take away from me. I'm not that person anymore, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me... It took a lot of trial and error and also me setting boundaries mm. that meant, and also that feeling of abundance, that, that, um, uh, what is it? Abundance mindset. Because mm. though I strongly believe that not only I will I be fine, but I will thrive and I thrive because the money will come. Yeah. And I thrive because I don't do what I don't want to do. Right. And I say no, but also that I, I say yes too. I read yeah. that book by, yeah. what's her name? Sondra Rhimes. No, Shonda mm. Rhimes. Shonda, yeah. Um, yeah, Shonda Rhimes, The Year of Yes. Or The yeah. Year of Saying Yes, something like that. That's such a good book, man. Yeah. Such a good book. <laughs> and once you, when you, what happens is you say yes to one thing and the next thing comes along and the next thing comes along and the next thing comes along. It's almost but like a domino when, effect. Right. Yeah. But also when you step out, it's like the, the cartoon where they get to the cliff and then they s- step out and then something comes up and you get, you, you don't fall. You don't, um, if you, step into that kind of feeling of thinking you're going to fall but actually you will be fine if you believe you will be fine you'll be fine that was a long-winded way of saying you know to to keep trying and keep going yeah and just what's the worst that could happen can i just say i'm very good at giving this advice not so good at taking it Mm. but i am aware of 
and I am aware of sometimes feeling too scared to do things but you know I have a good support net- network around me yeah and I think everything happens when it's supposed to happen yeah that's true you know that's so it. yeah again don't know what the question was but <laughs> hey here we are you keep killing me <laughs> um, um, was one piece of because I heard a lot of things in terms of you know your unsurety of what how to even build this business what to even do like what steps I need to take how I need to price all these different things so for some some professional out there who's now starting out now trying to figure out you know their life and what they're doing and how, how what they're passionate about what their purpose is even how to grow in themselves more so than the business or the career that they have like what's one piece of advice you would give them (laughs) i mean do you have 10 i don't know yes you do you have loads of knowledge (laughs) so i would i would say what i say to my girls um what do i say to my girls i say well, I say do what you love, but that's, I don't know whether that's business advice because I, it is, you know. the thing is, is that you can say, this is it's interesting because I've heard lots, I've read lots of things and I've heard lots of advice, but also if you're not ready, you know, when you're not ready to hear something, you don't right. hear it. Yeah. So true. I've, what I say, I've heard, I've had said to me, and at the time I'm like, that's wrong. I remember hearing people say, Oh yeah, do what you love and the money would follow. And I'm thinking, no way, that's well, ridiculous. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yet, here I am. You see. <laughs> I Case was in point. My, right? <laughs> so I I think I think I will say the best thing I ever did was outsource the stuff I hate. So I have mm. a, a fear around numbers, which is funny, seeing as I measure things. But I have a fear around it's a childhood thing about being rubbish at maths. I'm not rubbish at maths, I just don't like doing it. And um, I used to make myself feel physically sick having to do my tax return every Mm. year. And the year I decided to spend the money on an accountant, oh my God, accountants are amazing people Mm -hmm. because they do this. Like some people like to do their tax return or they don't want to pay for someone to do it. Fair enough. And I'm sure that if I put my mind to it, I could do it. But I also would get myself into such a state about it. It's not worth it pay the money so if there's something that you that is causing you anxiety to the point where you're procrastinating or you're not doing it or you're worried about it there are people out there you can pay you know and it is worth every single penny penny. yeah i would also say put your money back into your business Mm. I, i would i would it even though when we make money and we get so excited and we don't want to spend it because you look at how much business cards cost and how much a website hosting a website costs and all that kind of stuff. But the money's worth it. And I would also say, sorry, social media <laughs> is not yours. Mm. If Instagram goes down tomorrow, That's if so WhatsApp powerful. goes down tomorrow, where are your clients coming from? Exactly. So get your own website yes. and then all your stuff your blog my website i love my website you know i love my website because bottom line all that social media stuff the point is to drive it to my website i have somewhere so i'm not telling anybody to whatsapp me that is it i'm not telling anybody to um you know oh i'm on what about all the people who were on myspace (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the people who are on bebo or yeah i mean yeah if all those things suddenly stop working at least you've got somewhere that is yours. That's mine. That's my copyright. That's, you know, that, that's so that, the thing. actually that's my advice. What people don't recognize is that's where you find your clients. That's not where yeah. you constantly meet them. Those are right. two different things. So you find them there, but you funnel them to you. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is so good. <laughs> and a newsletter. Sorry. So I've got good. one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, get a mail, a mailing list. Yes. So get people somehow. I mean, I have a, I think my mailing list is small, but they're mine, you know? So if I really want to say something, I send a newsletter. 
yeah. my goal is to actually send one out regularly but we're not going to talk about that but the point <laughs> is um having clients that have signed up because they like what you do is invaluable it's yeah. invaluable because you have a ready captive audience yeah do you see yeah so you know instagram's great i hope you know Facebook's great, Twitter's great, all of that, all of that. But really and truly, it doesn't belong to you, right? It's not yours. It's yeah. not yours. Yeah. And if you can't, if you lose your password or you can't get in, or they suddenly go, you know, belly up, you've still got, as long as we've got Wi-Fi, you've still got things that are yours: your blogs, your newsletter, your your offering, whatever it is. The number of times people have said to me, "Have you got a website?" I'm like, yep. I do. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> and I, I will say there are two. <laughs> okay. So three years ago, there, a blog came out and it was the 50 top, well, the 25 top African tailors in London. No yeah. one was more surprised than me that I ended up on this list. Nice. I don't know whether it was, it was brilliant because I just started. I don't know whether it was in any particular order, but I was number 16. Mm-hmm. So I, but my friends were very excited about this. I was having difficulty kind of owning it, but right. hear me out. My point is this. I went onto that list and I clicked on every single one. You know, I did, I got to number 12 before I found someone with a website. Mm. So people were coming to me. I would, I now have a thing where, on my website if you fill in a form i ask you how you found me right and it's still from that blog because it would if you clicked on someone it led to a number it might lead to a landing page whereas i have because i had a fully fledged website and the women loved uh the blog because i talk about you know um issues that were pertaining to them um that's how i picked up my clients Mm. So all this time I thought, oh, well, I'm number 16. People are going to just click on number one and number two. Yeah, no. Do you see? <laughs> no, no, so no. So it, it's, it's, it's an interesting... I've learned so much by getting it horribly wrong. Mm. And also, it's funny, I said about how you hear what you need to hear when you're ready to hear it. Mm. I never, I would never have predicted that I'd be in the situation I'm in because I I always had myself as not being a risk taker so I thought I didn't take risks so this is me deciding I don't take risks the woman who left her job and left her partner I mean (laughs) I mean those are huge they're quite big yeah quite big thing pretty big Um, but uh, and I didn't want to fail you hear those things about you have to, you know, they're not, they're not, fa- it's not failing. It's a lesson. And yeah. that's absolutely true. But yeah. because I've always been a perfectionist and I'm still working on that because it doesn't serve, it serves me, but it doesn't serve me at the same time. Yeah. It mean it meant that I didn't want to fail. So I would move like this. When mm. actually all the time I was failing, they were lessons. Yeah. And so you may as well just get on with it. Yeah, you know, because that will make you, that will take you further and further and further to wherever you're meant to be, and it where you're meant to be might not be where you think you're going. Mm. I couldn't have predicted this. Couldn't have predicted this. That's that's the thing, you know, because you you speak about failing, but in from my perspective, failing is when you stop, and at no point did you ever stop. Uh, So for me. For me, failing is more when you decide that's it and you don't do anything at all. So, so, that's so it's almost true. like you cut off your water flow and, yeah, and yeah, the rest yeah. of the path is dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah. But you, you, you yeah. kept going. So there was, even if it was a little trickle, it's still, it's still some form of water flowing. So you didn't and you really got to fail. look at the big picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you got to look at the big picture. If I get up tomorrow and I don't do anything that I consider worthwhile because obviously it's relative. That doesn't mean the following day I'm not going to. Exactly. 
I'm exactly. this, 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 the fact that I'm not in my studio and I, what I did is I moved my sewing machine and my fabric to my kitchen table just before lockdown was announced. Right. Hallelujah. <laughs> Which means that I've been able to continue to do my business, my new business, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now I'm thinking my next step is about making my, letting my clients, current clients know that how I'm going to navigate COVID, how I'm going to safeguard them and myself, how I move gradually back to my studio, but also what my offer is going to be because I need, yeah. I'm thinking about the on, online, which I've been faffing about for months that maybe I should actually get on with it, but also whether I'm going to continue making face covers, how I'm going to, do you see what I mean? So yeah. it's really made me kind uh, when it first started, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to pay my bills? I'm not about to lose my house, all that kind of stuff. Now it's like, okay, okay. How are we going to take this forward? How am I going yes. to take what I've learned and move it into the next year, two years, etc.? It's exciting, scary, but exciting too. I think the internet as as scary as it can be the internet having the internet at this stage at this time with this pandemic and all that is happening in the world is the beautiful thing about all that's happening in the world because with with just connectivity even this podcast this interview we could do this you know and this something that we couldn't if this had happened let's say 10 15 years ago it wouldn't be possible. So, exactly. I mean, I think we are in a beautiful space in the world where yeah. if you don't take the opportunity now, it more likely will pass you by. I, I, sure. I feel that, okay, I agree with some of that, but I also think that we must not forget that we are in unprecedented times. Yes. And we must yes. remember that no one knows what's going to happen next. And that in That's itself true. is causing anxiety. That's so true. So people are living with grief. They're living with shock. They're living with trauma. Some people are locked down with people they don't like. They're in, they're in, uh, they might be on their own. That will That's be affecting it. their mental well-being. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, there is the, I remember when it first kicked off and people on social media were going berserk. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to do this. Me, I was thinking, boy, I just want to get from day to day at the time. Yeah. Because I think it's really important that we put ourselves first and we put our mental well-being first and then move on. But Mm. I, 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 there is some, mm, there's a positive to seizing the day, but we have we, we need to look at the long haul. I, this is my personal opinion, but yeah, hear me out. Yeah. I need I can't be rushing around trying to do this 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 and this when in two months' time that means I'm going to be burnt out. Right? Do you see? Yeah. So whilst there are things that we could take advantage of, the other side to that is. And I would say to anybody who goes into business on their own, because I used to think everybody could be a business person, you know, I used to think everybody could be freelance. I didn't think that it was something that was a big deal. I now realize it's a massive deal (laughs) and you do have to have certain skills. Yeah. And one of those skills needs to know how to look after yourself. Right. Because if I didn't put myself first, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I would have got another teaching job. That's That's what would have happened. And I wouldn't because I'd been sewing on the side. Because I would, I, I now, I don't do anything without making sure I've got this in place first. Yeah. And it means that I move more slowly and it means, not physically. Yeah. It <laughs> means that I, that my pace of life is slower, but it's, it's much richer mm. because I can appreciate the day actually mm. i mean don't get me wrong i don't like love everything i do who likes answering emails and doing invoices and chasing people for money i don't like doing that it's not fun but the bigger picture is i'm building my own little empire yeah you know and i'm leaving a legacy um and i'm reaching people in a way that i never thought would be possible mm. so i'm good 
Yeah, you man. Know, I'm good. Oh, Karen, listen, it's such <laughs> always a joy. Honestly, it's such we always a joy. To talk. Yes, I agree. <laughs> we have so, I mean, I feel like even in this, there's so much more I could just take out and have a whole conversation about it. But just for this context and for this particular conversation, <laughs> I just want to end by saying thank you so much. Okay. This oh, has been pleasure. an absolute pleasure. Um, I feel like you bring so much different perspectives to the table and also a different spin with all your vibrance <laughs> and um yeah man let's let's do this again at some point yeah man um, i i who would have thought when we met yeah however I know. long ago it was I know, you know i know man sharing sharing our roti I, <laughs> sharing our roti <laughs> Oh my goodness, memories. <laughs> Mate, I could, I could murder a roti now, but I can't wait to get back to Barbados. I'm telling you, man. Memories. But for now, no, that was you. leadership. You're welcome, absolutely. <laughs> and let's catch up again next time. <laughs>